0: And tell you about the work of Truth For Today during the Bible Class Hour. It's always a joy to come. It's good to see Cheryl up here on the front. He probably doesn't hear me say this. But it's good to see him. He and I go way back to the very establishment of this congregation. Those who are seeking to follow the Word of God will also be seeking to be loving people. For in the New Testament, the great theme of agape love is presented as a predominant theme. This truth is brought to us in two different ways. First of all, it is conveyed to us through the affirmations of Jesus. On one occasion, according to Matthew chapter 22, there was a lawyer who spoke up and he said to Jesus, Good teacher, can you tell me which is the greatest commandment? No doubt this lawyer was speaking out of a time when the rabbis were saying there are 613 commandments that make up the Old Testament. One rabbi said that there are 365 negative commandments and you would think that he was saying that there is one negative commandment for every day of the year and the other 248 commandments would be a positive in nature our Lord immediately responded to this man by quoting Deuteronomy 6 5 you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And even though the lawyer didn't ask him to do it. Our Lord said. And I'm going to tell you about the second. And he quotes from Leviticus nineteen, eighteen, As he says. And you're to love your neighbor as yourself. This second commandment is like the first. And upon these two commandments. Hang all the law. And the prophets. Later on, whenever Jesus was with his disciples in that upper room and he was telling them goodbye, he was preparing them for the time when he would go back to heaven. He said to them, according to John 13:34 and 35, now a new commandment I'm giving to you, namely that you are to love one another as I have loved you. And then he said, And by this you shall know, and by this shall all men know, that you are my disciples. Secondly, this great truth about agape love is brought to us by the applications of the epistles. You would think that if our Lord was so pointed about his disciples being loving people, that whenever the epistles would be written, they would stress this love as well. And so it is. Hebrews 13.1 says let brotherly love continue. 1 Peter 2.17 says love the brotherhood. And John said in 1 John 3 verses 14 and 15. By this you know that you have passed from death into life because you love the brethren. And then John says, He who does not love is continuing in death. Then we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which would be the fullest presentation of love that we have in the New Testament. Paul has been writing to the Corinthians and they had all kinds of problems. They had the problem of division, they had immorality amongst them and they were not disciplining that man. And they were going to law with one another. They were not respecting each other's consciences. So as Paul begins to tell them about how to use the spiritual gifts that had been given to them, he will say in 1 Corinthians 12, here's a list of them. I want to make sure you know what I'm talking about. And over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he said, here are some rules that you need to go by in the assembly so that you're using them properly. And then right in the middle of that discussion, the way our Bibles are divided up, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 13 verses, Paul says, now, before I go any farther, I want to tell you about the greatest gift. I want to tell you about the highest gift. So if somebody is asking in his or her heart, what is the greatest thing? What can I really do? What is the highest, the most important thing that I can do with my life? It would obviously be addressed by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. You might say that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul is giving reasons as to why we should be loving people. He's pointing out that you can be a Christian and not being a loving person at all. So he's going to give some reasons as to why Christians ought to be loving people. Now I know he does not use the word reason, but as you look at what he's doing with the text, it's pretty clear that he's going to give about four reasons as to why we ought to be loving people. The first point that he makes is We need to be a loving group of people because of the essentiality of love. Love is paramount in its importance. There isn't anything greater than this. And as a congregation thinks about growing and living before the Lord, love is an essentiality. It's right up there at the top. And in Paul's characteristic way, he will use five different illustrations to make his point. His first illustration would be amazing eloquence. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now suppose you were able to speak more eloquently than any human being who had ever lived. And suppose that you were able to speak more eloquently than even the angels in heaven. Paul said, if you could do that, but you didn't have any love in your heart, You'd be able to make a lot of noise. But you'd be empty on the inside. And your heart would not be pleasing to God. The second illustration that he uses is supernatural knowledge. And though I have the gift of prophecy. That's a gift of the spirit. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. That would be gifts of the spirit as well. And you do not have love. You are nothing. We've said for years, knowledge is the answer. If men know better, they'll act better. But Paul affirms here that if you had all knowledge, if you had the gift of prophecy, but you didn't have love, you would miss it. You can be as straight as a gun barrel, doctrinally it has been said, and just as empty as a gun barrel spiritually if you're not careful knowledge alone is not enough knowledge brings us to love and then we are to bring that love into our hearts his third illustration is miraculous faith and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love I am nothing this is not the kind of faith you and I have our faith is based upon the word of God Romans 10 17 but this is miraculous faith This is the kind of faith inspired people had in the first century. We don't have it today. But there were those in the first century who had it. But hypothetically speaking, let's say that you were able to work miracles. And you could go into the hospital room and say to somebody who was terminally ill, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk, and that person would obey your command. What would that be like? Paul said, hypothetically speaking if you had this kind of miraculous faith you could actually work miracles but you didn't have love in your heart it would profit you nothing now you might benefit the people on whom you're working the miracles but it would profit you nothing his fourth illustration is sacrificial generosity and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and have not love it profits me nothing For years we've said that giving brings happiness. But that is not what the New Testament teaches. Giving born of love brings happiness. If you said in your heart, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give everything away that I have. I'm going to count up what my possessions would be worth. I'm going to check and see what I've got in the bank. And I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to give it to feed the poor. And I'll keep myself just a little bit of money to eat on. And maybe a couple of suits to clothes. But I'm going to give everything away. Paul said if you gave everything away. But you didn't have love in your heart. You would be empty. And God would not be pleased with your attitude. Now you would bless those. To whom you gave the money. His fifth illustration would be vicarious suffering. And though I give my body to be burned. And have not love. It profits me nothing. I don't know the situation that Paul had in mind. It seems to me that he is referring to somebody dying for others. And let's say that's the case. Let's say that somebody here must die that the rest of us might live. And you volunteer, you say, "I'll be the one. Tie me to the stake, put the wood underneath my feet, set the wood on fire. Burn me alive that these others might live. But you didn't do it out of love. You didn't have any love in your heart. Paul says you could give the greatest gift of all, your own body, your own life, but you would not please God. You can't fool Him. Well, He has shown us the essentiality of love. You just can't find happiness without it. You just cannot be pleasing to God without it. It's an impossibility. It is paramount in its importance. That would be the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Well, he has convinced me. I want to know what it is. I'd like to make sure I have this in my life. What is it? Paul is not going to give us a definition. But he's going to give us a demonstration. He's going to describe it. He's going to show us what love looks like in a human life. He's going to picture a man in shoe leather living as a loving person so he says let's look at the elements of it we ought to be loving people we ought to be loving christians because of the elements of it it is practical in its application there isn't anything on earth that's more practical than love there's no place in the world that wouldn't be benefited by love being added to it there's no life that would be wouldn't be benefited by love being added to that life now you will notice that Paul will give us 15 different characteristics there are 15 fingers pointing at the kind of personality and the kind of actions that I am to have if I am a loving person and the way he has done this seven of them are positive and eight of them are negative so we will look at the positive ones first and then we'll come back and look at the negative ones about all the time I have for this would be to merely identify what he is saying Paul says let me tell you what love looks like let me tell you what a loving person is like number one he's patient love suffers long other translations will have love is patient this is being patient with circumstances and also being patient with people a loving person will give you time to grow up A loving person knows you can't throw an egg over in the barnyard and expect it to crow tomorrow. The loving person knows it takes a long time to raise a boy. A loving person knows it takes quite a while to help a person develop into a real Christian. He'll give you that time. He's patient. Patient with circumstances. God has to ask you to wait at times he just has to do it it's built into the lives that we live I'm praying for our grandchildren and who they will marry well they're just young children obviously I'm going to have to wait I'm going to have to wait for God to answer those prayers that I'm praying I have to wait for him to fix it he's got to fix the circumstances and it takes a while to do that and sometimes whenever I pray for this or that, I have to wait for God to fix me where I'll be able to receive the answer that I've been praying for. Number two, he says love is kind. This is not a theological definition of kindness, but it's a good one. It's a good practical definition. I got into Bible camp several years ago, Green Valley Bible camp. It goes like this. A little boy was... Asking his mother for a peanut butter sandwich. And she said okay I'll get you one. She went into the kitchen. She got a slice of bread. She put a layer of peanut butter on it. And even though he didn't ask her to do it. She put a layer of grape jelly on it. He said that's kindness. In other words kindness is when you go beyond the call of duty. Showing your appreciation for another person. Is there anybody in this world that you've expressed kindness to today? Have you gone beyond the call of duty to show your appreciation for another human being? Paul says that's what a loving person does. The loving person is kind. Now dropping down to verse 3, I believe it is, love rejoices in the truth. There are two sides to the holiness coin on one side. There is truth. And on the other side, there's love. If you're trying to be a loving person, you'll be seeking the truth. And if you're trying to seek the truth, you'll be trying to be a loving person. Love bears all things. This is one of the Bible bears. You might want to, in your mind, ride out beside bears burdens. This is the person who will bear the burdens... As you become a Christian, and as you begin to live the Christian life, there are burdens that you're going to have to bear. They're not always easy to bear, but there are burdens that you're going to have to bear. I mean, you're going to have to get up early, you're going to have to get the children ready. If you've got four or five around the house, it takes a long time to do that in some cases. And get them ready, get them in the car, get them to Bible class, maybe... You don't see that as a burden, but it takes a lot of effort to do it. And you do it kindly and graciously Why? you're a loving person. Love bears all things. You have a loved one that gets sick. And day in and day out, through the night maybe, you're caring for that loved one. That's what a loving person does. A loving person bears all things. A loving person believes all things. Love and belief go hand in hand. The loving person wants to think not about his or her problems, but he wants to think about his or her powers or the promises of God. You know, you're around them and they're wonderful people to be around. You run out of energy and they make you read Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You run out of resources. You don't have any money to do what you want to do. And they make you read from Philippians 4. My God shall supply all your needs according to the riches of Jesus Christ our Lord. Tragedy hits and once again they come to you with Romans 8, 28 which I think should be translated now we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. Love believeth all things. He's constantly focusing upon what God has promised. And he's going to hug those promises to his heart regardless of the circumstances that comes up. Love hope of all things. If there's anybody around that ought to be characteristically optimistic, it ought to be the Christian. He has an almighty Father. He has an almighty Savior. He has a wonderful brotherhood. It's supporting him and working with him. If there's anybody around who ought to be an optimistic person, it ought to be a child of God. I heard about a man one time who wore Suspenders and a belt at the same time and still expected disaster to occur. I heard about another man, a farmer, had three pigs and one night one of them died. And the next day he went around telling everybody, you know I lost all my pigs last night except for two. That's one way to say it. He could have said, you know, last night I just lost one pig. There is an optimism that belongs to the child of God that does not belong to anybody else. The worst thing that can happen to you if you are a loving Christian is for you to die and go to heaven, somebody has said. Love endureth all things. Now you want to write above this time. Time. Beareth all things, that burdens. Endureth all things, that's Time. The loving person, may I say this, is not a quitter. I just doubt if a quitter is ever a loving person. If he's really a loving person, he's not going to quit. And you have God's word on it here. He endureth all things. Well, what if I'm persecuted? He endureth all things. What if I do have a hard time of it and maybe money is not available to me? Love endureth all things. What if I do get sick? What if other problems come? Love endures all things. Well, those are the seven. You say, I wonder if I'm a loving person. Don't ask me. Just look at the list. This list has the dew of heaven upon it. It's right. And this is the kind of personality. This is the kind of person that I am to be. But there are some negatives. You can't even talk about love without bringing up some negatives. Paul will actually mention eight of them. So he'll come out with 15, I guess. Some of them are very close to each other. Love envieth not. Now maybe your Bible reads love is not jealous. But this is a Greek word that can be translated either way. It can be translated jealously. It can be translated enviously can be translated either way. But I want to remind you of this fact. Jealousy can be a child of love. Because God is referred to as a jealous God. But envy is always a child of hate. If you have envy in your heart. You're not a loving person. That envy has pushed out the love. The only way that love can dwell in your heart. Is for love to push out the envy and remember this envy the old saying is will do more damage to the object on uh, to the container in which it is than to the object on which it's poured I'll get it right in a minute you see, you have envy in your heart and you say I'll fix him you know I'll hold this envy in my heart against him and I'll hurt him I'll fix him yeah you might you might hurt him a little bit But let me tell you where the greatest damage is going to be done it's going to be done in your heart it'll eat your heart up it will destroy your heart a loving person cannot live that way that's not the way for us to live love bond is not itself now i've used the king james translation on purpose i grew up with it i love the king james translation Would you let me say this? But some of the words we don't understand anymore. That's the reason why I'm bringing it up. Vaunteth. It vaunteth not itself. Do you use that word? Our young people don't even know what that word means. We would say it like this. Love is not a braggart. He's not going to brag about himself. He's going to be humble if you wanted to say it in the converse. Love vaunteth not itself. Love is not puffed up. Well, we understand that. Somebody's looked at a man walking down the street and he was doing this and he said what's that man doing and he said well he's scratching his head he had the big head you see he was puffed up he really thought he was great he really thought he was something but the loving person does not behave that way love vaunted not itself not a braggart is not puffed up is not proud And here's the one I really wanted to show you. Doth not behave itself unseemly? If I came to you and I said, have you been acting unseemly lately? You wouldn't answer that. What do you mean? What does it mean to be unseemly? I was trying to drive this point home in one of my Bible classes at Harding. And I told them, I said, you don't understand that. And I want to translate it so you will understand it it could probably be translated just as easily love is not rude love does not rough, walk rough over the feelings of other people and, and claim to be doing it in the best interest of people I was trying to make that point in class and one young married man raised his hand he said I think I've got it I said well what do you have he said, tell me about it, tell me what you got he said well I'm married you know And I think this means that I should open the door for my wife when she brings in the groceries. That's about how we get things. You know, we hear this, and it's a lovely thought to us, but we can't really understand how that that should be really a change agent in my heart and in my life. Love is not rude. Love seeketh not her own. If you want to have a shortcut to to misery, just make a little kingdom out of your heart. And just put up signs all around your heart. One sign you can put up would be, you can't make me do it. Put up another sign on the other side of your heart. After all, I have to look out after number one. Nobody else will. And then put up another sign. I'm not going to let you into my life. And as you live that kind of life, you'll grow lonelier and lonelier. Friends will be few and far apart. And whenever you die, nobody will come to your funeral. You have to open up your life. You have to live for others. Love lives for others. Is there anybody you've lived for today? Is there anybody in this world that you've sacrificed for today to make their life better, to make their thinking better? Is anybody you live for today? Love seeketh not her own. Love is not easily provoked. That is a pretty good translation. The Greek word actually has in it irritated. So you probably could translate this, love is not easily irritated. What does it take to irritate me? What does it take to irritate you? Do you wear your feelings on your sleeve? We have to be very careful about what we say to you or we will offend you. One young married woman was asked, do you wake up grouchy in the morning? She said, no, I just let him sleep. Most mornings, I just let him sleep. There are some people who get up in the morning and two cups of coffee wouldn't make them fit to live with. They get up mad, they live mad, and they're gonna die mad but love changes you love is not easily irritated life is rugged sometimes and it'll irritate you if you'll let it but love won't let that take place is not easily provoked thinketh no evil does not keep a record of wrongs done I heard about a counselor who had a couple And they were having a hard time getting along with each other. And the counselor, according to the story I have, said to them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go your separate ways for a few moments. And I want you to make a little list. Sit down and make a list of all the things you despise in each other. And we'll come back together and we'll read the list and we'll work on the list. So they went their separate ways. The young man made his list. The young lady made her list. They came back together and the counselor said, all right, let's start with yours. She pointed to the young man, you read your list, he read his list, he had eight or nine different things that he said with gritted teeth that he despised in his wife. And then she turned to the young lady, according to the story, and she said, you read your list. And she put her list over there on the table and she had written on the list, I love you too much to see any wrongs in your life. I don't know what happened to that young man, but I bet you he found a hole and crawled in it. And do you remember 1 Peter 4 7? The assignment for listening to this sermon, young people, the assignment for listening to this sermon is you memorizing 1 Peter 4 7 before the sun goes down on this day. You know what it says? Love covers a multitude of sins. I'm so glad that my wife has a love for me that covers a multitude of sins. I understand that when you're growing turkeys and a turkey runs into a sharp object and begins to bleed, all of the other turkeys gather around and they peck at the blood and they peck the turkey to death. Do you know that you can peck your marriage to death? You can peck a congregation to death. You can peck a nation to death. Just peck, 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 peck. <coughs> Love covers a multitude of sins. We don't see them. Rejoice is not in iniquity. That is, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs done, it doesn't rejoice whenever a brother goes astray. We don't rub a sin in. Love rubs it out. And whatever a brother's down in the ditch, we go down there with him and we get mud on us as we bring him out. If he's got a fly on his nose, we don't get rid of it with a sledgehammer. We lovingly work with him and help him to overcome the problems of his life. Well, there are 14 to 15 different characteristics here. 15 if you count 2 separately they're almost the same but a total of fifteen. Seven are positive eight are negative this is god's list i didn't make it up if i were making up the list i'd add some things to it i guess or take some things away from it but the holy spirit gave us this and this is right he knows more about psychology than the psychiatrists do he knows more about counseling people about love Than the counselors do. This is right. And this is what I should measure myself by. Number one. We ought to be loving Christians. Because of the essentiality of love. Number two. We need to be loving Christians. Because of the elements of it. And number three. We need to be loving Christians. Because of the endurance of it. The permanence of it. Enduration. Love never faileth. You put love in your heart, you put love in your life, it'll stay there, and it will stay there for a long time if you let it. And whenever you get ready to leave, to go into eternity, you'll leave your money here. You'll leave your house here. You'll leave your bicycle here, if I might talk to the young people. You're going to leave everything behind, but there's one thing you can take with you. You can take love. Love never failing. Now, we need to notice that Paul is going to use three not two, but three illustrations. The first illustration that he uses is the first century America's revelation. Love never fails, but let me tell you something that's going to fail. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, that's supernatural knowledge, it shall vanish away. That is, whenever the word of God is completed for well, we know in part Peter said some things that Paul didn't say John said some things that neither Peter nor Paul said we know in part and we prophesy in part but when that which is perfect is come then that which is in part should be done away the perfect would be the completion so when you have it in part obviously you're waiting for the completion to occur and whenever the divine revelation was finally given to us, we had it complete. But it's just an illustration. I'm telling you that love will never fail, it's never going to vanish away. It'll always be here. The first century of America's revelation did fail, they did pass away. The second illustration that he used was the immaturities of childhood. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child but when I became a man I put away childish things yes when I was a boy I had characteristics that I needed to get rid of and I hope I've gotten rid of them I hope I'm childlike but not childish Childish. but this is just an illustration love never fails but the immaturities of childhood will fail they will pass away when we become adults His third illustration would be the incomplete knowledge we have of ourselves. And somebody has said this is our now and then verse. For now we see through a glass darkly. We see ourselves as we see ourselves in the mirror. Somebody has said if you were able to see yourself walking down the side of the street as others see you, you probably wouldn't recognize yourself. You know a little bit about yourself, but you see yourself sort of darkly. But then, face to face, one day, I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And he knows everything about me. And perhaps I'll know everything about myself then as well. Now, I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I've known. Whenever I get to heaven, I will know myself as I've never known myself before. Just an illustration. Love never faileth, but here are three things that will fail The first century of America's revelation, the immaturities of childhood, and the incomplete knowledge of ourselves. It will endure, it will endure. This is what you want to put your life into. It will endure. This is the big thing. This is the most important thing. This is the most wonderful thing that you can give your life to. Number one, we need to be loving people because of the essentiality of love. Number two, we need to be loving people because of the elements of love. Number three, we need to be loving people because of the endurance of love. And number four, we need to be loving people because of the excellency of love. Just the most excellent thing that there is. Primary in quality and now abideth faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. What more could he say? Why is love the greatest? Some have said, well, you know it's greater than faith and hope because faith one day will be sight and hope one day will become reality and love will still be around. That's a good explanation of it, I guess, but I really believe there's a better one. And that would be the fact that there is only one thing in the world that can make you like God. And that's love. And Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 5 when he was telling us, To love our enemies. He says love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. And persecute you. And then he gives us. Verse 45. 44. Is only the beginning of the sentence. And in my translation here. That I have before me. It ends with a semicolon. That means there's more to come. And you never want to build. Upon a half. Of a sentence like the politicians do. You know, they will say something in the second half of the sentence that blots out the first half of the sentence, and they wind up saying nothing. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Verse 45. That... That you may be the children of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. That is if I'm the right kind of person. If I'm a person of love. I look like God. And I'm trying to do in my life the work of God. I'm doing what God does. I'm living the way God lives. What should we do with 1 Corinthians 13? I told Cheryl, I think he heard me whenever he came in. Cheryl, let's make a pact. If you go before I do, save me a place in life. And if I go before you do, I'll save you a place in life. Let's make a pact. Let's all of us make a pact today. I've tried my best to preach this. Let's make a pact. Let's make a pact that we're going to apply the ABCs of applying 1 Corinthians 13. The ABCs are as follows. First of all, let us affirm. This is how I'm going to live. I know I'll be imperfect at it. I know I'll not be able to measure up. But I'm affirming here today that this is the way I'm going to live. It's the best thing I can do. It's the highest way that I can live. B, build on it. Oh, I have a lot of things I need to do with 1 Corinthians 13, but I can start building on it. Day by day, I can build on it. Try to add a little bit of 1 Corinthians 13 to your life each day. Build on it. You know, you don't build a house overnight, and you don't build a life overnight, but you build it by working it. Day by day. You know where you want to go. You know what you want to do. You've got the plan before you. You have the architecture before you. And now affirm it. Build on it. I made this word up. Apologies to our school teachers. Characterize it. That is affirm it. Build on it. Where eventually this becomes your character this becomes the kind of person you are you're known by the heart that you have you're known by how that you live a loving life and whenever you have that kind of life and i know i've preached too long you get everything when you get the right kind of love Then you'll do what you need to do about God. You'll do what you need to do about the Holy Spirit. You'll do what you need to do about Jesus. You'll do what you need to do about brothers and sisters in Christ. You'll do what you need to do about your family at home. About your children. About the people at the workplace. It just makes a broad sweep. And it helps you to live like God. Wherever you go. And wherever you are. I think we mispronounce Christian. You know, I'm funny about things like that. I think we have misnamed the Great Commission. I think we ought to call it the Global Commission. And I think we ought to pronounce Christian, Christian. Emphasizing Christ. Who am I? I'm a Christian. I am a follower of Christ. And I'm trying to love the way Christ loved. And whenever I make a mistake, I want to be blameless in it. I want to apologize for it, correct that, and go on. I'm going to be saved because I'm a blameless person and not because I'm a perfect person. Because I'm a faithful person. Trying to do the will of God. Trying to be a loving person. And I need every one of you to help me do it. And you need every one of us to help you do it. May God bless you. You come to Christ By faith in Jesus, in penitence, making the good confession, being baptized into Christ. And then you anchor your life in 1 Corinthians 13. This is the kind of person I'm going to be. This is the way I'm going to live. And I believe that God will bless me as I do it. If you need to respond in some way, if you want this congregation to pray for you, that you might do a better job of being a loving person, we'll be glad to do that. We'll pray for ourselves as well. While together we stand and sing. Shall we sing?